Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest game of news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Bungie and uh, an IGN report that spoke about a lot of crazy allegations that have happened within the company. We're also going to talk about Ubisoft and their first entry into NFTs. And finally, we're going to recap the 2021 Game Awards that took place last week. But first, you already know, another week, another Activision Blizzard update. But this one is actually pretty huge when compared to what has been happening the last few weeks. So last week, I briefly spoke about 20 members of Raven's QA team having their contracts terminated after being led to believe they will be converted to full-time employees. Part of a statement from Raven's QA team reads, quote, these personnel cuts come after five weeks of overtime and before an anticipated end of year crunch. The entire Raven QA team, along with some other members of Raven, have walked off the job and will not return until a singular demand is met. Every member of the QA team, including those terminated last week, must be offered full-time positions. So over 60 employees, including some from other studios, have come together to expand the work stoppage. As of the recording of this podcast, that um, walkout, that strike, is still actually taking place. And this, <coughs> excuse me, this is an issue that we have that I've spoken about on the show before, and it is commonplace inside of our industry to basically hire out workers by contract, which means that you have no legal obligation to offer them, uh, for example, a guaranteed number of hours. You have no obligation to put them down for full-time. You have no obligation to offer them health care. I think even things like uh, sick days, family leave, there are a lot of guarantees that companies are, by the letter of the law, do not have to offer these contract employees, which is why for positions especially, quality assurance, a lot of those positions are done by contract. And what will happen is that you'll hire on a lot of testers as a game gets closer to release in order to uh, detect as many bugs as possible in order to, you know, push that up to the coders and developers to ensure that especially the game breaking bugs get fixed. And then what you what a lot of these companies will do is they'll basically dangle the carrot and the carrot uh, excuse me, or dangle the carrot on a on a fishing pole. Or what they will basically tell these contract workers is, you know, stick with us through all the crunch, through all this, this, this shit that we have to go through since we have to ship this game by a certain date. Stick with us because uh, there's a high chance that we will convert you over to a full-time employee. And that carrot on a stick is a tactic that a lot of leaders use not just for, for QA testers and contract workers, but just to keep, um, not I guess I want to say keep part-time workers happy, but almost use it as a way, you know, motivation is actually not even the word that I'm looking for. It's, it's using it as a way to make them feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, kind of telling them, you know, yes, we're crunching, we're going through a lot of shit right now, but if you keep working hard, there's a position waiting for you at the end. 
And obviously, if none of this is in writing or a contract wasn't laid out, especially if there's no paper trail through emails, then, of course, there is no guarantee that you'll have a job at the end. And that seems to be exactly what happened. According to Raven, they did make an announcement where they are working towards converting a lot of the employees into full-time, including QA. But the solidarity within Raven and within Activision Blizzard, especially with everything else that has been going on within the last couple of months, is it's not fair that I'm being converted from contract to full-time, but these 20 people aren't when none of them, when they have been working just as hard as I've been working. They should be entitled to the same promise that I was made. Uh, according to World of Warcraft UI developer Valentin Powell, unionization efforts with Code CWA had been planned for months. Code CWA is or stands for the Campaign to Organize Digital Employees by the Communication Workers of America. One developer from Activision, Austin Tokotaku, quote, the reason there is solidarity with Raven is because it's a reminder that unless we stick together, we are all disposable. So it seems that there have been conversations behind the scenes with the ABK Alliance, which stands for the Activision Blizzard King Alliance, which is a group of employees that were formed after the initial lawsuit from the state of California in order to, you know, I guess, attempt to lobby on behalf of the greater good of all employees, even though they cannot officially, you know, present themselves as a union. So with all of this going on, there seems a lot of employees have been um, secretly working with the code CWA in order to plan a moment where they will eventually make a push to unionize. But it seems what, what happened was this Raven issue with these 20 employees being let go, I wouldn't call it the straw that broke the camel's back, but it, it, it I, I guess it's more like a, a giant tank of gas that sort of accelerated this move to unionize. And it seems that unit cards are being handed out. And I, I, I believe, I think it requires a 30% vote of employees showing interest in a union within a single Activision Blizzard offer, office in order to initiate an overall vote to have a union represent employees and negotiate a contract. So I believe you need 30% of employees to just basically show interest. You're giving a, a union card. Uh, I'm not, I can't remember the exact information that you write on it, but it's basically you saying, I would like to express interest in joining a union or being represented by a union. Once that happens, then there must be a formal vote with, I don't think it's the entire company as a whole. I think it's just within a single entity. So within a single office, so let's say within Raven, there would be an overall vote where em employees would enter into a secret ballot. And I think you 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 just need majority. I think it's 51, you know, 49 type of rules. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure exactly how it would work. And then uh, if that were to happen, then Activision Blizzard employees are able to work on behalf, oh, excuse me, um, you're basically signing a contract 
to, with a union, which in this case is Code CWA, in order for Code CWA to represent you as employees. And Activision employees have already received a company-wide email last week that basically acted as a veiled threat against unionizing, basically employing workers to, quote, consider the consequences of signing a contract that allows the CWA to negotiate on your behalf. And this is kind of a classic move from companies. You know, union busting is is basically what it's called. Companies try their best to scare employees from unionizing, um, kind of telling them that, you know, it's 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 almost like trying to walk this legal fine line where as a company, Activision cannot tell employees, hey, you cannot unionize, you're you're not allowed to unionize, but there are no laws that can stop them from encouraging employees not to unionize. So what companies will do is put out emails like the ones that Activision just did, basically telling um employees Hey, if you sign on to a union, your wages can go down. Uh, if you sign on to a union, there is a possibility that your office will be shut down or your factory whatsoever. It's basically making these threats to stop employees from entering into a union. Uh, because when you are a part of a union, you basically have an entity that has a single goal in mind, and that is to serve workers. So this is an entity that basically sits at the table on behalf of all of these employees in order to do things like renegotiate contracts, for example, um, bring up a lot of workplace violations, like things like crunch, for example, all of these different things, workplace harassment. It's, 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 <coughs> excuse me, it's basically, once again, hiring a, a group of people that are fighting for your rights. That is, that is their, their, uh, their single, that, that is a singular goal. And another thing that some companies will do is they'll scare employees into the fact that there are union dues. So there is a yearly fee that you have to pay to the union. And that's obviously the money that is used to keep the union going in order for the union the, the union basically uses that money in order to hire lawyers and litigation and things like that. So they'll tell employees like, you know, I, I think I think it was Delta at one point had signs in their break rooms that encouraged employees to purchase video game systems instead of becoming a union and using their union dues. Uh, for that, you're better off buying a video game system. At least you'll have fun. And they'll come up with all these bullshit ways to basically scare you. But what they don't, they, what, what they won't tell employees is, uh, yes, there are union dues, but, you know, the chances are really, uh, very hi highly likely, uh, especially because if you look at the history of uh, workers that are unionized versus non-union, your wage is more than likely to go up when you join a union because they're able to collectively bargain on behalf of an entire group of employees instead of you entering into a room by yourself to basically try to bargain just for you <laughs> in order to get your wage increased. And, um, you know, Outside of Activision Blizzard, it, it sort of feels like this country, United States of America, is kind of in the midst of a union revolution where unions have been dropping 
over the last 10, 20 years because companies have done so much to try to stop employees from unionizing. I think there was a Starbucks store in Buffalo that recently got a vote passed to become the first ever union represented store in Starbucks's entire 50 year history. And a lot of people look at that as this is a possible domino that will encourage other Starbucks locations to, um, you know, create their own vote to try and unionize. And companies like Amazon, what they'll do is they'll basically play every card that they have that will not break the law. So companies like Amazon will do things like put up posters in the break room, in the bathroom, trying to discourage you from voting to create a union. Um, definitely check out, go on YouTube and check out last week tonight. The last episode that they did, ironically, was about union busting. And it talks a lot about the lengths that these companies will go to to, to, to ensure that a, a union won't happen. Uh, and it's just wrap this up. The ABK Alliance has already established a GoFundMe that will act as a strike fund to assist with wages. Obviously, while these employees are on strike, they are unable to generate any type of money. So that's what that um, GoFundMe is for. The last time I checked, it was around $260,000. So if you'd like to donate to that, uh, just search for ABK Alliance on their Twitter page or just search ABK Alliance GoFundMe, I'm sure you can find it. Um, so we'll have to wait and see exactly how this goes on, but this isn't a simple process. The process of forming a union can take years and years. Um, definitely, once again, check out that last week tonight uh, video. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that HBO show. They talk about a lot of that stuff and, you know, better can better explain it than even I can. Our first story deals with Bungie. So IGN spoke to 26 current and former employees that worked at Bungie within the last decade. Last September, Bungie CEO Pete Parsons announced a number of new initiatives in an effort to, quote, recognize our shortcomings. Bungie would hire a diversity and inclusion director, update hiring practices, improve training and tools, allow anonymous HR reporting, and end forced, forced arbitration. Um, there is seemingly no better microcosm for Bungie's historic, excuse me, before I read this, this is straight from the IGN article, for Bungie's historic company-wide cultural troubles than its narrative team, which has experienced toxic leadership, issues with crunch, and at times unmanageable separation between ideas of old Bungie and new Bungie culture and more, all within the last five or six years. I would definitely recommend you go to IGN to, to read this. I won't be going over too many specifics as it's a lot to digest, but it pretty much echoes a lot of the same issues we've heard from other companies. Um, let me see if I can pull up in the middle of this podcast, try to pull up this uh, article because I would like to give a shout out to the writer. Um, shoot. Let me see if I can find it. Her name is Rebecca Valentine. She was a person who wrote this article. It goes in depth, a lot of different examples, a lot of things that once again, echo a lot of the issues that we've spoken about in the past on here. But 
I'll bring up a couple. A white male leadership drunk with power who constantly belittles and disrespect employees, predominantly women, because they have no fear of repercussions. Periods of extreme crunch were also detailed. Those close to the team describe its members working 60, 70, 80, even 100-hour weeks during some expansions, frequently with no breaks in between crunch periods. One team member crunched while so sick they were unable to type and had to have someone else type for them while they dictated. It wasn't until writers quit or threatened to quit all at once, including every woman on the narrative team, that Bungie finally dismissed the leads responsible for the chaos and began to take the team's concerns more seriously. So it seems a bulk of this report really talks about what's what's been happening at Bungie within the last five or six years. After this report came out, a lot of more stories started rising to the top of people that currently work on Bungie that are saying that Bungie is moving in the right direction, albeit it's kind of moving a little bit at a snail's pace, but they're slowly moving towards the right direction. But even if Bungie leadership has recognized everything that's been happening and kind of makes this blanket decision of, hey, let's start moving in the right direction. It's so important for journalists to continue breaking these types of stories to continue to show that this is an industry-wide issue. This isn't something that just affects uh, what I like to call the flavor of the month. It, it, it seems like every month within the last few years or every few months, we're hearing about a new we're, excuse me, we're reading reports about a new developer or a new publisher where a lot of this stuff is coming to light, whether it was NetherRealm, Riot, Bioware, Electronic Arts, you know, Sony we had spoke about, I think it was last week, I think a, a, a lawsuit was brought up. So, um, you know, Mercury Steam, the developers behind Metroid Dread was another developer that we brought up that was having issues with crunch, apparently. And this sort of goes hand in hand with this Activision Blizzard update that I just talked about, because it really shows why it's so imperative for our industry to unionize. It's so important to have a union be able to go to the table and negotiate on your behalf because of the fact that it seems that so many of these companies are not capable of self-policing themselves. And it shows that a lot of these leaders that are at the top have sort of put their feet in the concrete that has been poured by shareholders that, you know, I'll defend you, you defend me. And that's really how we get into these issues where the problematic employees, usually them um, historically being white males, that's how they're able to continue keeping their job. You have the leader at Bungie who has been at Bungie for a while, or a good example would be what's happening at Quantic Dream, that were there, and I guess Bobby Kotick would be another great example, that were there to allow this failure to happen, to allow this kind of rot to spread, you know, because instead of, you know, doing a proper investigation and firing the employee that's in the middle of, of all of these issues, whether it be harassment or otherwise, instead of letting that person go and, and, and sort of nipping it at the bud, they would rather protect their best friends 
and uh, sort of just keep this cycle continuing until, you know, you, you know, there's no more room left underneath the rug to sweep that dirt underneath. And um, definitely big shout out to not just Re Rebecca Valentine and IGN, but every single journalist and publication out there that has worked so hard within the last few years. And obviously you can't forget the employees who, you know, even under the condition of anonymity, still risk their livelihood to come out and say these things and, and, and bring these stories to light. Because one thing that we've noticed within the last two years, especially the last year, is this acceleration of employees wanting to come forward and say something. Um, and and a, a lot of that is because they were inspired by the employees that came before them. So I definitely recommend, if you're listening to this, please go out there, go, go to IGN, read that story. The uh, title of the story is The Battle for Bungie's Soul Inside the Studio Struggle for a Better Work Culture. Definitely go and check that out because I said there are just way too many examples um, you know, I'd, I'd probably fill up the, the, the whole hour of this podcast if I went through everything, but it's very important that if you love this industry, you're a gamer that you, um, you know, the same way that if I told you, Hey, there's an article that's talking about destiny three, you'd probably run out and read that you should run out and read the bad things and, you know, don't hide from it. It's so important to, um, be able to better understand the um, a lot of the shit that men and women that work tirelessly to deliver these experiences to us have to go through uh, when it comes to these toxic work environments. So definitely please go and check that out. Now let's move on to our next story, which deals with Ubisoft and their first entry into NFT. So last week, Ubisoft announced Ubisoft Quartz, which is, I guess, the umbrella name for everything that they're going to be doing with NFTs within their company. They're calling each of these item, items digits. And the three first items that they've introduced are actually for Ghost Recon Breakpoint. It was, I believe it's a gun skin, a helmet, and a pair of pants. So, you know, when this was announced, the reaction for gamers was immediate. <laughs> it felt like overwhelming anger over social media. The announcement video had a 95% dislike to like ratio. For those that don't know, YouTube recently removed the dislike counter, but someone quickly created a Chrome extension that's I see people online are saying that it, it's going to not work anymore. YouTube is going to, Google is going to plug that hole any day now. But the Chrome extension after YouTube removed dislikes still allows you to, to publicly see dislikes. And the new system, only the YouTube creator that uploaded the video can actually see the number of dislikes, which I hate. Google should have definitely just kept dislikes. I mean, that, that that's that's how you know you know if i if i'm looking for a diner and all i see are great reviews i'm gonna go oh cool this this diner is great but there could be like 10 great reviews and 
47 awful ones, you know, it's, it's just not a good gauge. You have to be able to let people see likes and dislikes. It's kind of dumb that they removed it. But that's how people were able to figure out that it was 95% dislike to like ratio causing Ubisoft to unlist the video. They <laughs> just straight up removed it. You can still find it if it's directly linked, but I think if you just search for it, it isn't under Ubisoft's um, channel anymore, but I think like IGN and other places had re-uploaded uh, re it. And um, the word NFT right now in gaming, I feel like I feel like it's personally in the same exact position that DLC was when the idea was first introduced over a decade ago, where every conversation I'm seeing about NFTs right now seems to be you're in either one of two camps. Either this is you hate it for whatever reasons you dislike it, or you're you're kind of all for it and you see a future in this technology. If anyone were to ask me how I feel about it, I like to say that I'm sitting on the fence, but two of my legs are on the side of I'm for NFTs. And the reason why is because NFTs, the blockchain and crypto is, and, and you know, the whole idea of decentralized finance is an amazing solution to a lot of the problems that were introduced with the internet when it came to web 2.0. Sometimes we look at the web in three systems, web 1.0, web 2.0, and now the upcoming web 3.0, or what they call the semantic web. And web 1.0 is, you know, we kind of like to look at it was when it was first introduced in the 90s to I think it lasts around 2001 or two, I think it, 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 it is around there. It is kind of the read-only version of the internet. You know, you visited a, a page, you viewed information, but there really was no creation from the side of the user. You know, you, you were just kind of there to digest <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that was being put out by companies. Web 2.0, you know, obviously accelerated by social media, is a lot of content that is being created and shared by users. It's more of a read and write system. The biggest negative from Web 2.0 is that we sat by as a handful of companies, Google, Amazon, Facebook, took almost complete control of the internet where everything sort of flows through them. You know, we're at a point right now of Amazon Web Services goes down, which it did, I think it was a week ago, a bunch of video game servers were completely shut down, right? That's just like one example out of a bajillion that you can probably come up with. Web 3.0, and this is like the most layman's simplest term to look at it. I suggest anyone out there that's interested in this technology, just go on YouTube. What is Web 3.0 and or the semantic web? Top line, it's an opportunity for the users to have a stake in, in, in the internet have more control over their content and data and um, be able to have a lot more control over their uh, money, have more control over their funds. NFTs themselves are not new at all. They, they, they're just not. 
And when I see a lot of websites cover NFTs, I like to notoriously bring up Kotaku because Kotaku is a publication where it seems that they have this agenda. And to me, the agenda that I get from NFTs on Kotaku is NFTs are awful. They're bad. They're going to kill your grandparents. Like it's just like portraying this in the worst of the worst light and portraying it in a way to their readers where they there's like no balance to it. They're not telling their readers like, hey, let's talk about how NFTs can empower artists and give musicians an opportunity to not have to sell their uh, their masters immediately to a record label in order to become successful, right? All these different positives that NFTs, crypto, and blockchain can introduce, like none of those are really put out there. The The issue right now with NFTs and gaming, and, and the reason why I like to um, compare it to downloadable content when it was first introduced over 10 years ago, is that when both of these concepts were introduced, and mind you, once again, NFTs are, are, are not new. This isn't a word that was just created in the year 2020. It's just now there's so much attention, there's so much acceleration, there are so many people who are smarter than you and I that are wanting to accelerate this type of technology. That's the reason why we're all talking about NFTs. And of course, our industry, the gaming industry, is the biggest entertainment industry in the world. A lot of money flowing in and out. So companies are going to bring up NFTs and blockchains because it's a great way to basically show your shareholders like, hey, we're hip. We know what we know what's happening. It's it's a way to, to tell your shareholders, yeah, we 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 know people are paying five two hundred and seventy thousand dollars for a picture of a monkey like we know there's a lot of money um you, you know we understand that roblox is worth more and this, this is actually a fact roblox is worth more uh than nintendo <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous to think about but it's a way for companies to basically appease their shareholders in a sense and I think that just like with DLC, gamers will always look at a new type of technology. And unfortunately, you're going to, to, to filter it through capitalism. Naturally, you're going to. And obviously, in the year 2021, compared to like 2005, 2006, when we we're talking about downloadable content, capitalism has only accelerated like a thousand X, right? So when a new a, a, a tool is introduced into our industry... I think it's natural for gamers to look at that tool and think about that tool being utilized by Electronic Arts, being utilized by Ubisoft, being utilized by Take-Two, and think to themselves, okay, this is a bad idea because all of these companies will implement this in bad faith. But the issue is that when we learn about these tools early on, especially if you're not super well educated on them, a lot of publications like Kotaku or I've seen just gamers in general in terms of getting their information, a lot of it is filtered through a person who hates NFTs instead of a person who's telling you, let let me tell you what NFTs are. So because of that, it's going to inform your opinion. But a lot of them are bringing up these sort of doomsday scenarios. And part of me understands it because let's be honest, under capitalism, companies just cannot be trusted to basically sit around a table and say, hey, how can we create something fair that benefits 
us, but also benefits our consumers. We all can imagine cigar chomping white dudes just sitting around a table and say, how can we introduce something where we get 90% and, and fulano gets, you know, 10% or whatever, right? So they create these doomsday scenarios. And it reminds me of back in DLC, if we think about horse armor for Elder Scrolls Oblivion, um, you know, gamers went nuts when horse armor was first introduced at $2.50 because they felt that it was the introduction of a, a monetary stream that companies will not be able to ignore. And every single company would implement this in, in nothing but bad faith. There was these doomsday scenarios that were created in 2005, 2006, where uh, stories were being put out. People would say, oh, you know, the next Elder Scrolls is going to be $50, but when you start the game, you're going to be naked and you're going to have to pay for your pants, pay for your armor. You have to pay for your sword. You have to pay for your shield. It's going to be 50 cents per potion. They're going to monetize every little thing. Games are over. You know, single player epic games are done. Uh, here we are in the year 2021. Spoiler alert. It's over a decade later. None of that happened. <laughs> now, of course, there are going to be uh, sort of levels. We've seen levels to downloadable content where, um, you know, early on, we got a lot of examples of companies that were sort of doing it the same way. So, excuse me, doing it a bad way. So early on the Xbox 360 era, a lot of people were noticing that they will pay five bucks for a digital item, but then the download would be like 50 kilobytes, which is like, wait a minute, that's, that's kind of small. And some people started realizing that they, what they were downloading was, was a key to unlock content that was already on a disc. There's something that was implemented in bad faith, right? If we think back to Mario Kart 8, when Nintendo first introduced their racer packs, the big question that Nintendo was forced to answer was, when did you guys create these races? When did you guys create these courses? Did you remove them from the launch in order to sell them later? Because we saw companies absolutely doing that. And you know what? Some companies did do that, but other companies did not. They understood that, hey, when we launch, we, we, we won't be able to launch this chunk but we will be able to, 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 to sell it later and give you a reason to keep your disc and expand your experience. And obviously here we are, you know, um, over 10 years later, the industry has not collapsed. <laughs> there are companies that use these downloadable content in, in I want to say good faith or great faith, but there's definitely more of a balance, uh, especially when we talk about expansion packs, which a lot of people think that um, they get a lot of bang for their buck for a lot of expansion packs that have been introduced into our industry. But right now, the word NFT, people don't view it kind of as a tool. Like I said, the opinions are formed by either worst case scenarios or being educated by someone who is poorly educated. I, li I like to compare it to fire. Fire can be used to nourish, it can be used to strengthen and build, or it can be used to destroy. That's the way that I look at NFTs is it, 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 it sort of is a tool. In my opinion, the one of the biggest mistakes that Ubisoft made was releasing this now. Ubisoft should never have touched NFTs. It's just not the right time for it, A. And B, Ubisoft did um, pretty much zero work, zero due diligence when it came to answering a simple question, which was answering uh, the question, why are NFTs important? Why should gamers be excited about NFTs and or the blockchain? 
The issue is that we're so early in this, most companies just haven't figured it out. It's almost like they're blinded by the the rush, the gold rush, and how much money is being moved around in these markets. That it's like they just they just want to kind of hit the ground running, get it out there, as opposed to some other companies that you know Microsoft or excuse me Xbox for example, and Phil Spencer they're more on the, along the lines of like you know we're keeping an eye on it, but this definitely is not the right time to to talk about this, and they're right. The big mistake that Ubisoft made was actually trying to do this right now. It's just it's just not a good time to do it, but. In that respect, this NFT drop actually was not as bad as I think a lot of people want or or, or I see a lot of the discourse making it seem to be. So a couple of things. Number one was the drop was free. Usually with NFTs, especially in the profile picture era that we're in, you know, with the monkeys and the penguins and all this garbage that's out there, there's usually a cost to mint. Mint is basically when you use your wallet to confirm a transaction, a new block is created and a block is created that basically um, locks you in as the owner of that profile pictures in a block. The block is immutable. It cannot be touched. It cannot be changed. Usually with profile picture projects, because they're done by startups or artists, they don't have a lot of money to start off with, there's usually a mint price. And minting is usually at the floor two, three, $200, $300. And obviously that's not including gas, which is a whole other issue. Um, but one thing that they did was, number one, the drop was free. Number two, the one thing that I like that they did was that it could only be redeemed by players and they're limited to one per account. So you have to be level five to get the M4A1 tactical gun skin. Uh, you must have over 600 hours played to redeem the helmet and over 100 hours uh, played to redeem the pants. And I'm going to give you an example of once again, what I call fear mongering was this article that showed up on Kotaku, which was titled, We Live in Hell and this Ubisoft NFT that requires you to play 600 plus hours of Ghost Recon is proof. And th- this was a perfect example of what I consider fear-mongering because this writer wrote this in the context of let me create a doomsday scenario for you. So, he had wrote a sentence that said, you know, not only are, you know, NFTs bad for the environment, but now, you know, people are going to be running this game for 600 hours straight just to claim this helmet so they can sell it and make money. And that sentence was just a complete lie. And funny enough, I went to check the article before I started recording. He actually did change that sentence. I got someone was telling him like, hey, this isn't actually true. The reason why it's not true is because 600 600 hours equals 25 total days. Ubisoft Quartz was just announced last week. And you currently only have 64 hours remaining to claim one of those 250 helmets. So it's actually impossible unless you have a time machine to leave Ghost Recon running for 600 hours just to get this helmet. And spoiler alert to anyone out there that thinks um, this is how people who look at these type of businesses for revenue, none of them are going to do this, okay? If you're in this game and you look at this announcement, And let's say you are purely profit driven and you say to yourself, holy shit, I can claim this helmet and then I can sell it to 
some sucker who wasn't quick enough to get it, I'll be able to sell it for a hundred, five hundred thousand bucks because only 250 of these helmets were made. No more will ever be made. This is a one of one that will never be offered ever again, right? There's not a single, um, I guess we'll just call them flipper or reseller in the world that is done it, gonna dedicate 600 hours in a video game just to get a helmet to sell when there is a much easier way to do this. The easier way to make money off of the NFT marketplace, here's a simple play-by-play. You uh, use Twitter, use Discord, you try to find projects that are early, that sound interesting. You look at their Twitter followers, you look at their Discord server, look at how many people are on there. You try to get in early because if you're in early, you're put on what's called a whitelist, which means you can mint before anyone else. The key is to mint. The key is not to buy these things secondary. So you mint, you buy for $300, $400, then based upon the announcement, Let's say it publicly goes up. If it's popular, all 8,000 of those profile pictures will be sold out. Your play now is to sell it in the secondary for someone who's saying, wow, look at how fast these, you know, monkey penguins sold out. If I buy it now for $1,500, it can be $10,000 next week, right? Because they think they're going to make money. Spoiler alert, 99% of these projects are going to go to zero. Um, so I minted it for 300. I sold it to someone for a thousand dollars because they think they can make more money. That's how you do this. You don't remember time is money. No one is going to spend $600, uh, in a game purely to get a helmet. That's just not going to happen. So what this really was for is for people who have played ghost recon for quite some time. It's, it's not for people who have never played ghost recon before because they think they're going to make a lot of money on, on here. It's, it's really an unrealistic, uh, excuse me. It's really an unrealistic scenario, especially since you can only redeem one digit per account. If we're talking about the other method, I told you that a lot of people use on NFT marketplaces in order to make money. I can mint five, 10 of these as soon as minting opens. Sometimes you can get on a whitelist where you can mint five at a time. <clears throat> so no one's going to try to run, you know, four different Ghost Recon accounts to get to 100 hours to redeem some pants, especially since there is so much discourse when it comes to the gaming industry. It just doesn't make any sense. Once again, it's creating a doomsday scenario. The other thing that a lot of people like to bring up is the environmental concern. I, I, I don't even... Um, entertain that conversation. I'll tell you exactly why. This is how I feel about it. Just top of the line, you know, I'm still kind of in the middle, but this is why I don't think energy use is much of a concern. Number one, blockchains are not the same way they were when Bitcoin was first introduced a few years back. They use way less energy than they used to use. For example, a single blockchain transaction can use up to the same exact energy as streaming uh, a year straight of uh, video. So 365 days straight of streaming videos, exact same energy it would take um, to create a blockchain transaction. That's obviously horrible, awful. Um, people who are enthusiastic about entities and blockchain all unanimously agree that this cannot be the way that we do things, which is why those type of blockchains have been accelerated. They've went from what's called proof of work to proof of stake. And obviously, once again, we're still very early. Energy uses will get better and better. 
So one other thing that a lot of NFT detractors will like you to think is that Ubisoft is trying to light the planet on fire with these NFTs. Well, um, purchasing, trading, or selling one of these NFTs actually uses the same amount of energy as streaming a video for just 30 seconds, which means that if you saw the trailer for this, which is a minute 30, you used uh, three times the energy it would take to actually acquire one of these digits. And that type of energy is going to get better. The reason why I don't want to even um, kind of have that conversation, especially in gaming, is if you can't answer me how much, if you, if you can't give me the answer of how much energy it takes for you to play your Xbox every day, or how much energy it took you to sync 400 hours into Destiny 2, for example, then I don't want to hear your conversation about NFTs destroying uh, the environment because let's be honest, you really don't give a shit about the environment because, uh, you know, if you can't tell me how much power it takes or how much energy you're using to stream a one hour or two hour film on Netflix, then let's be honest, you really don't really care about the environment that much. You just want to bring up uh, an overt negative about NFTs just to shit on it. The other thing is, let's be honest, there is no such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism. So it's, it's just conversation that I, I'm not really one to entertain. Uh, the other thing I like to remind people about NFTs and, and pretty much anytime something kind of a new concept is introduced, the same will go for DLC, is that a lot of people like to attach their own feelings without thinking about how other people react to it. So once again, a 95% dislike to like ratio but then again, those 2,000 guns that were um, Ubisoft digits are all completely gone. So you would think by looking at the dislike and the NFT hate that no one would want to even try this, would want to even just say like, hey, you know what, let me let me see what this is like. But it's absolutely false because all 2,000 of those gun skins are not gone. And remember, it's only one per account. So it's not like someone went up and scooped a thousand of these, right? So, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions with this stuff. And, you know, like I said, I'm definitely not sitting here and saying NFTs are amazing. This is going to be great for the industry because there are still a lot of problems with this thing. There is still uh, a huge slippery slope when it comes to this, especially when we're talking about a speculative market, especially when we're talking about um, advertising to people under the age of 18, like let's be honest, gamers, 14, 13, 14, 15 year olds play Call of Duty, even though it's mature, they get their hands on Apex Legends, Fortnite, for example. Um, it's dangerous to have a market that's speculative, accessible to children who don't understand money, who don't understand markets, who think that, you know, holy crap, this person bought that gun for 50 bucks and they sold it you know, a month later for 5,000, like I can do the same thing. No, that's really not how it works. So th this is a slippery slope. The difference between the, the way that I like to look at it myself and what I encourage a lot of people to do, don't listen to me. Don't listen to Kotaku, you know, go for information, I guess, pure information. You know, we, we live in a time right now that a lot of news is filtered through someone's brain. You know, if I go to read only Kotaku, I am reading articles that are not presented informationally in terms of, let's talk about NFTs as a blanket statement. Let's talk about good applications, bad applications. 
it's all about, let me tell you why NFTs are a scam, which is 100% false. Not all <laughs> NFTs are a scam. Are there a lot of scams out there? Hell yeah, there are a lot of scams, right? But that's like, you know, me telling you stay away from email because someone's going to tell you they're the king of Nigeria or they're going to tell you your bank and they're going to steal all your money, right? Not every piece of email is a scam. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been working on a, on, on a video to try to explain this a little bit better. But what I would like to say is, you know, go out there and just you know, you're not going to lose anything by just learning this information, right? Because I, I do think that there is a place for this um, if it's used correctly, but there are going to be a lot of bad faith cases. It absolutely, it's going to happen. And that's why I really like the way that Phil Spencer commented on this. And I think what he was saying was kind of like, hey, we're paying attention, but it's not the right time because it seems there are, you know, the NFT market is really... Um, it's not the over, it's not just inflated and or, and or overvalued, but from Phil Spencer's perspective, it seems a lot of people are just using this technology and this gold rush to take advantage of people. And it's, it's a hundred percent true. A lot of, a, a good number of use cases, especially the ones that seem to rise to the top that you, you'll get from websites like, oop, like, uh, um, Kotaku, it will make you feel like every single one of these things are a scam. And I can tell you right now, indisputable proof, it's not true. It's, it's just not. That's why I like to say it's, it's like telling you, someone telling you that every single email is a scam. So if, if I were to sit here and, and go through a lot of things, look, I, I would probably take up this whole thing. So that's why I've been working on a video. I'm thinking of doing two videos and one of them being more of a, like a, a question and answer kind of thing to try to get people to understand a little bit more about this technology. But honestly, go to YouTube. What is an NFT? What is the blockchain? What is Web 3.0? Read up on these things because I'm going to tell you right now, Pandora's box has been opened, especially when it comes to cryptocurrency and blockchain. You know, the box has been opened. It will never be closed. And there are a lot of positive things, you know, when it comes to this. And even with turning digital items into NFTs, you know, the way that I look at this is, hey, there's a possible scenario where I'll be able to um, not own a blanket license to do whatever the hell I want with a digital item, but almost own the license or, or, or own a right to be able to transfer that item, either buy, sell or trade to a friend. That's something that for me as a gamer, I would love to listen to because in my opinion, or from my point of view, the, the, the biggest scam in gaming is the one that's already happening. Like no one can convince me otherwise. Gamers are here paying 75 bucks in the next gen era to play a game that the moment you hit buy, your liquidation goes to zero. So if you bought Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, the moment you click buy, your $70 are gone. And let's say for whatever reason, you need 50 bucks right now, you can probably sell that game at this moment if you had the disc for $40, $50. You can't do that if you bought it digitally. You don't own it. That's a scam, right? So like I said, there's just a lot of conversation going on about this. I don't think that Ubisoft did this in the most absolutely evil way possible. I actually do believe it was well thought out. The big mistake that they made was actually trying to do this right now. And I think the best thing that the industry could do is have this be a topic of conversation at GDC next year.
in order to better educate the masses in terms of how to use this correctly. And because like I said, honestly, it's it's a slippery slope. It can be used in bad faith cases. But, you know, um, we're not going to enter an era, into an era where single player games are going away. We're not going to enter into an era where play to earn is everywhere because we've had this conversation so many times throughout the year. Uh, remember, every single time we talk about game of the year, and we talk about the best experiences throughout the year. Nine times out of 10, we're talking about single player games. That's not going to change. Those experiences are going to continue. All right. And now for the final story from this week, we're going to quickly go over the 2021 Game Awards. I don't think I'm going to really spend a, a lot of time on this one because I feel like this is... Hmm. This has to be at least the third year in a row that I'm talking about the Game Awards. I'm recapping it on Camp Koji. I usually do two episodes, one talking about the nominations, and another one recapping the night. And I'm starting to feel like this is a broken record <laughs> because every time I talk about the Game Awards, I, I usually say the same thing over and over again. So I, I feel like there's really no need for me to reiterate a lot of the stuff that I said during last week's show, kind of already carry over to this week's show because a lot of the fears that I had in terms of what type of show this was going to be actually came to fruition. And honestly, it was even worse than the way that I had envisioned it. And, uh, you know, if anyone were to ask me, Joel, sum up, the Game Awards in one word, I would have to use the word exhausting. Uh, it was just exhausting to watch this thing. I, um, I've i been talking a lot about the Game Awards straying further and further from the actual goal of this night. Every single year it gets further and further. And no matter how many times Jeff Keighley wants to stand up on the stage and say, this is a night where we celebrate developers the honest to God truth is that it's not, you know, the game awards is a celebration of commercials. <laughs> it's a celebration of advertising. It's a celebration of the future. It's definitely not a celebration of the year that just passed. It's a celebration of publishers. Um, it's a celebration of capitalism. It's really not a celebration for developers, nor is it a reflection for gamers to, kind of take a few hours to come together to be able to reflect on the year that was. I mean, it was filled top to bottom with ads. You know, one of my favorite was the pre-show with Sydney Goodman, where she said, you know, before we take a break, let me tell you about Amazon Luna. <laughs> I just laughed when that moment happened because it's literally someone saying, hey, before I show you commercials, let me let me pitch you a commercial. <laughs> That's pretty much how this night went. It was nothing but ads, back to back to back to back. Um, no matter how excited you might be about a premiere and like, oh, cool, Alan Wake 2, for example. At the end of the day, these trailers are still ads. You know, when Microsoft approaches the Game Awards producers and say, hey, can we get six minutes to show off Hellblade 2? It's not like Jeff and his team go, okay, cool, we'll carve out six minutes to you. Jeff and his team go, 
okay, you'll get six minutes. It's going to be $200,000 a minute or something like that. We're talking about a show that broadcasts to over 85 million viewers. And that's not even talking about repeat watches on YouTube and, and, and Twitch and things like that. They broadcast to different countries simultaneously. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's really simple to see why many, so many advertisers and publishers are attracted to this night in order to try to find a way to get you to purchase their game. But it, it, it was just relentless. It felt like every other time Jeff was had the microphone, the cameras on him, it was like, you know, brought to you by Spotify, wrapped up, uh, text this code to get a pizza from Grubhub or it, 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 it like I say, it, it was just exhausting. And if you don't think it was, I tweeted about this a few days ago where I scrubbed through the show and the total run of show was three hours and about 40 minutes. If you include the pre-show, which was 30 minutes out of three hours and 40 minutes, I think I calculated half an hour was dedicated to awards. And uh, I'm going to have to try to find my original tweet, but I think it was just half an hour um, that was either dedicated from, from and, and I started counting from the moment they would announce a presenter, like, you know, this presenter, you might know him from playing this person from Far Cry, John Carlos. Vizito. So I started counting from that moment up until the moment that the award speech was finished or until Jeff finished his sort of rapid um, fire thing. I'm trying to find my tweet because that on there is where I put exactly. Here we go. Uh, time for awards from the moment a presenter was announced to end of acceptance speech. If there was one 32 minutes, that means that we sat through over three hours of advertisement. And like I said, it, it, it's just one of those things that there's no way Jeff can get on the stage and say, this this is a night where we celebrate developers. Uh, it's not. You know, there was like this ad that was really annoying that kept playing that showed uh, Nate Hill and Ariel Powers telling you, hey, stop don't, stop watching the stream. Come watch this our stream where we're going to be talking over the awards. And it's like, I can't imagine being a co-streamer uh, for the Game Awards because that's like such a big deal. The Game Awards talking about you can be a co-streamer, sign up, we'll send you a badge. You can be an official co-streamer. So imagine be a co-streamer and your viewers have to sit through. It happened at least like five times. Someone saying, "Hey, come to our stream." It's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, um, the other thing that a lot of people talk about about this night is that Jeff did address harassment about the industry. Some were upset that he did not call out Activision. Last week, I did say that that is the right way to do it. I don't think the right thing to have done would be to, to call out Activision Blizzard. I still believe in that. Jeff believes in that, and I actually agree with him. Because Activision Blizzard, I, I, I mentioned, I, I believe I mentioned it earlier in the show, is just the flavor of the month. You know, this is industry-wide. The day right after the Game Awards, IGN broke that story about Bungie. So, you know, this is industry-wise, you're better off having a message about the entire industry. But the other problem is that it honestly does come across as a little hypocritical um, from Jeff and his team because they made this announcement about we won't tolerate harassment of any kind. You know, there's no room for that in our industry. And then 10 minutes later, they showed 
the trailer for Star Wars Eclipse, which is a game that's being created by Quantic Dream, um, which if you don't know the history of Quantic Dream, go, go look at it. We're talking about a very, very toxic work environment. The leaders of that company are still there. They are working on this Star Wars game. And I guess to sum it up, there was a moment in a libel lawsuit where I think one of the co-founders said, am I allowed to lie? <laughs> Something like that, just to show you the extent of the toxicity in that company. So it is kind of weird where you say, we won't tolerate this. Hey, here's a trailer from Quantic Dream. You can understand why that's a little bit weird, right? Uh there, there are some positives. It wasn't overtly negative. I'm going to find some positives. Global Gaming, Sigason, Future Class, those were amazing. Those need to stay. The first Global Gaming, Sigason was about something called the drag stream community. Once again, we're talking about millions and millions of gamers seeing this, you know, being exposed to a community that they probably had no idea about that makes them feel a lot more comfortable about who they are and the fact that you can cultivate this type of community no matter what you feel or how you feel the world is going to react to the type of person that you are to or, or, or to who you truly know that you are. That type of stuff is amazing. We need more of that in the industry. Uh, Khalif Adams being recognized for uh, his talk. I think it was called A Lesson in Blackness. This actually should have been brought up last year because this happened in 2020, but, you know, better late than never. I believe that these are the content creators that should be up for, for creative of the year, not just people who stream Minecraft. You know, a person like Khalif Adams should be up for creator of the year. This is, um, we're talking about someone that's putting out content that is actually impactful in the industry. Obviously, you know, I'm not trying to downplay streamers like, you know, they create safe spaces for a lot of people, but I think more people need to be recognized other than just streamers and YouTubers. Um, they highlighted a woman by the name of Anissa Sanusi, who's the creator of Limit Break, a mentorship program for underrepresented people within the UK gaming industry. That type of stuff is amazing. It's it's impactful. It shows you a side of gaming that you don't really see it aside of. But yeah, like I said, it was it, it was just exhausting. Like I don't even want to sit here and talk about the the reveals. I don't think there was anything that was like blow the door off the hinges. Some of them were too long. Uh, Hellblade looked great, but I thought six minutes was just way too long. You know, even something like showing the Sonic Two trailer. The trailer was like two minutes, but that whole thing took like six minutes. There was so many opportunities where you could have cut down things and be able to give out one or two awards. I think in total, I think only eight awards were given out on stage. Everything else was just kind of rapid fire. So like I said, three hours of ads and you only got 30 minutes to hear from um, the amazing men and women that work so hard on, on these games. It, it, it's just kind of awful. Um, so, you know, before we end the show, we'll quickly go over some of the winners Esports, esports should honestly just not even be part of the game awards anymore. Like they never treat esports with any type of respect. It's always rapid fire. I think you'd probably have to go back to like the the first or second game awards to actually see, see an esports athlete actually accept the award. I understand it. Part of it I understand because esports is such an international sport. You know, you can't expect an athlete to fly in from China or Korea, especially. Uh, because Jeff and his team are so adamant about not telling you, not telling people that they've won 
um, until the very moment that the winner is about to be revealed, which I do think is pretty cool. But I'm sure you could set up some sort of like, hey, record a uh, thank you speech just in case you win. I don't know. Um, but at this point, it's like you guys might as well just not even put this in the, the Game Awards because they always just rapid fire it. Best esports event was League of Legends World Championship. They also won last year. Best esports coach was Kim Kakoma. Uh, last year was Zonic. Best esports team was Natus Vincier. Best esports athlete was Simple. And best esports game was League of Legends. This is the second year in a row it's winning. Most anticipated game was Elden Ring. My personal pick was Starfield, but Elden Ring was the winner. No surprise. I did predict it was going to be the winner once again. It won two years in a row. Best debut indie. The winner was Kenna Bridge of Spirits. Content creator of the year was Dream. Best multiplayer was It Takes Two. Last year was Among Us. Best sports racing. No surprise. Forza Horizon 5. Best sim strategy was Age of Empires 4. Once again, not really a surprise. Best family was kind of a surprise. The winner was It Takes Two. Uh, that means that Nintendo has won only six of the last eight times. This is the, the, the Game Awards dead horse that I've beaten to death uh, 20 times over. This category needs to be removed because it's so heavily skewed um, towards Nintendo. But this is one of the few years that they did not win. Best fighting, fighting, my prediction was correct. It was Guilty Gear Strive. Best role play, my prediction once again was correct. Tales of Arise. Best action adventure, the winner was Metroid Dread. I, I think I predicted this because I said that I don't think that um, publications are going to help themselves from giving a Nintendo game or giving Metroid an award. Not not to say it didn't deserve it. I, I think an argument could be made. I, I, I've been enjoying the game. I haven't had time to finish it or I haven't, had go, I haven't gone back to finish it. For those that don't know, Metroid is the worst game to put down and try to come back two weeks later. So uh, I'm not even sure if I'll ever go back to it. Best action game, um, which was my pick and my prediction, so it's cool they got one, was Returnal. I think it absolutely did deserve an award. Best VR, my prediction was correct, Resident Evil 4. Innovation and accessibility, another correct prediction, Forza Horizon 5. Best community support, another correct one, Final Fantasy 14 Online. Best mobile game, had a lot of people laughing because um, she said Genshin Impact instead of Genshin Impact. <laughs> But that was the winner. I actually thought Pokemon Unite would win, but I was wrong. Genshin won. Best Indie, the winner was Kenna Bridge of Spirits. My personal pick was Death's Door. More so because I haven't played Kenna Bridge of Spirits, which is weird because I was talking so much about that game. I, I kind of still have to go back and buy it. Best Ongoing, Final Fantasy XIV Online won that. That was a good prediction. Games for Impact, I predicted right. Life is Strange, True Colors. Best Performance, another predict, uh, correct prediction, Maggie Robertson as Lady Demetrescue from Resident Evil Village. Uh, best audio design the winner was Forza Horizon 5, which I did not predict correctly, but that's pretty cool. So Forza walked away with a few awards. Best score in music went to Near Replicant. Um, best art direction went to Deathloop. This was one of the, the biggest upsets of the night, in my opinion. Not taken away at all from Arcane Studios, but to see Deathloop, win best art direction over these other games ratchet psycho kenna and artful escape uh, I, i'm gonna have to totally disagree with that one my personal choice was psychonauts 2 
Still cannot believe that Psychonauts 2 did not win a single award all night. That uh, that made me pretty sad. Best narrative. So happy to see Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy win. They absolutely deserve that award. Best game direction went to Deathloop. And then game of the year went to It Takes Two, which was uh, pretty cool to see that um, go over to them. Um, like I said, I I, I mean, th- there's not really much more to say about this night. As I said, they weren't, I, I felt like that the, there wasn't this sort of blow the doors off the hinges sort of announcement. And a lot of that is still, for those that keep forgetting, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. I thought one of the last games that was showed, Ark Raiders looked pretty cool. Alan Wake 2 was not really much a surprise to me. I think like 90% of these trailers were all completely CG. I saw people online talking about, man, this Star Wars Eclipse game looks cool. And I'm like, yeah, because it's completely computer generated. It's not even a quantum dream has always done good with graphics, but you know, it's not really what the the game is going to um, look like, but it was just a lot of games are like 2023. That Wonder Woman game was like, oh, cool. I've, I've always wanted a Wonder Woman game, but I mean, who knows when that we're going to see that game 2024. Uh, it was great to see some Suicide Squad gameplay. Finally, that game looks like a ton of fun. But um, yeah, I, I I just really wish that um, the Game Awards would be kind of reconstructed top to bottom because, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say something that comes from a place of me not knowing all the details, but just this general feeling that I get. It, it's hard to not look at this show as like, it's become such a, a a bottom line experience. It's really been more about how much ad space can I sell? And um, like I said, when you watch a trailer, whether it's CG, it's gameplay, um, unless Jeff sits there and says, oh no, we're going we to sell those trailer spots. We only sell commercials. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think that's how these things work. I can't imagine a developer being able to just submit a trailer and you know be able to put be put in front of millions of fans simultaneously completely for free so it 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 just really gets a little bit tough to look at this show and not think like man it's kind of hard to not look at it as like man scheme awards you guys just trying to make a lot of money off of this because that's i'm gonna be honest that's kind of the way that i i look at it jeff did a Twitter space, I think it was the day after, and I, I came in kind of halfway, and it was sort of brought up, and Jeff's answer to it was, well, every time we ask people why they watch, they always say the same thing, we're here for the for the reveals, but I feel like that's such a cop-out type of answer, um, because the thing about it is that if the Game Awards, if Jeff Keighley were to say, we're going to have some amazing reveals, People are going to sit throughout the entire show, even if you only have five or six reveals. So if Jeff were to say, yeah, we're actually this year, we're going to cut down on the reveals. We want to give more time for people to give their speech, not rush them, not just give them only 30 seconds. We want to put more developers up front. We want to give them more time to give speeches and, and, and speak up and talk. Um, and highlight a lot of the talent around the industry. So in order to do that, we are going to cut down on the reveals, but we are still going to have massive reveals. We're just not going to have as many as we used to. Or um, tune in for the pre-show because that's where we're going to have a lot of cool world premieres. 
that's not going to stop people from watching. They're still going to watch because there still is a possibility of a blow the door off the hinges type of announcement. That's not going to stop anyone from watching it. So I, I just feel like that's kind of a cop out type of answer. And, you know, I guess just to wrap this up, you know, I, I, I complain because I care. I, I just, you know, outside of everything that we've, we've heard the last few years about the industry, a lot of the darkness, the, the crunch, the harassment, the way that men and women are treated, the way that um, minorities are treated throughout our industry. You, you, you take all that and you put it on top of just the absolute challenge that it is to um, create build and execute and successfully launch a game it's it's one of the most difficult things that anyone can set out to create across any entertainment medium uh, whether it's it's film or tv shows i'm not taken away from those challenges of creating a film or a tv show but if i finish a film and i move this scene from you know hour one to 30 minutes in, you know, there's no chance that the entire film is just going to stop working. And all of a sudden Tom Holland is going to start disappearing, right? We live in an industry where these small changes can have such a, an effect on an entire project and squashing bugs. And it's, it's just immensely difficult. And I feel like the game awards have always been this opportunity for us as an industry to just shut the fuck up for a second and just listen to the men and women and just shut up, put your hands together and uh, just thank a lot of the people that work so hard to deliver these amazing experiences that we all love. So I always like to say every time I complain about the Game Awards, uh, I, I do it because I love it so much and I just know that it it could be better. It it just, frankly, it should be better because um, developers deserve way more from us. Hot releases this week, December 13th, Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon, PC, PS4, Switch, Xbox One, December 14th, Among Us, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, December 15th, Bridge Constructor, The Walking Dead, PS5, December 16th is a big day, The Gunk coming to PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. It will also be available on Game Pass. Alien Isolation, Android iOS. Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach, PC, PS4, PS5. Moon coming to PS4, PS5. Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, PC. And Final Fantasy VII Remake, PC via Epic Game Store, which currently has um, PC players uh, not too happy because the game costs $69.99. Welcome to the future of PC gaming. Uh, join us over in the console era where console players have been forced to pay $70. So it looks like Square Enix is making that change. That's our show. Shout out goes out, goes out to Masayuki Uemura, the architect behind the NES and SNES who passed away last week at the age of 78. May he rest in peace. No wrap it up this week. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Kamkoji for future updates. Once again, I am Joel, and I will see you all next week. <laughs>